son of David, king of Israel. That is, this book was written, this book on wisdom was written by the expert on wisdom. The wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus Christ. So it kind of makes us turn our attention to that, doesn't it? If you wanted to know something, like if you wanted to know about the atom bomb, and Einstein wrote a book about it, you'd probably read the book by Einstein, right? In the same way, Solomon has written a book on wisdom, and God has inspired it by his Holy Spirit. God's the creator of wisdom, so we have to pay attention to what's in this book in Proverbs if we want wisdom. So, turn to the book of Proverbs, first chapter, and we're going to look tonight at the preamble, or sort of the purpose for the book of Proverbs, verses 1 through 7. And this, is, this section is so important because it, it's undergirding our, the entire study that we're about to do this summer. This summer we're going to spend eight-ish weeks studying different uh, ideas of wisdom in Proverbs. And this section is vital to understanding the rest of Proverbs. If you miss this section, you will never have wisdom and you will never understand the rest of Proverbs. Guaranteed. That's what verse 7 says and we'll get into that. So I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Actually consider if you've ever asked yourself a few questions. I have. Ask these questions. What do I want in life? Ever consider that? What can I do to be happy? What sorts of things make me happy? What's the point of life? What's right and what's wrong? What's good and what's evil? Well, these are questions that wisdom answers, and these are questions that the book of Proverbs answers. So welcome to our study of wisdom. This whole summer we'll be doing this. Welcome to Wisdom University. It's natural to ask these questions of ourselves, right? If you haven't asked those questions, you might want to start asking them because they're pretty important questions. It's natural to ask questions like the ones I just said. Men and women for thousands of years have been asking these questions ever since the beginning of the world. They're asking questions about what's important in life. They, they count wisdom and they count the answers to these questions as more valuable than gold and more desirable than life. They want answers to these questions and I hope that you do too. Men like Adam and Job and Solomon in the Bible explored these questions. Men who have worked in fast food shops and uh, feed stores selling corn have asked these questions. Farmers have asked these questions. Men with names that I can't even pronounce like, uh, well, Confucius, Augustine, Kierkegaard, Hegel, Kant. These are philosophers. These are men who have explored these questions. It's questions that every single person in the world is asking. And so this is why wisdom matters to you, because wisdom answers these big questions in life. And so JT has tasked me with condensing all of our understanding of wisdom from the last 6,000 or more years into the next 30 minutes. And I'm like, all right, I can do it in two words. And I'll tell you what they are. I can do that because Proverbs tells us what those two words are. Condensing wisdom down into two words. So if you're in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, let's read it together now and then we'll get into it. We're discovering Proverbs. This is an exciting, an exciting journey of sorts. Think of it like a treasure hunt. We're seeking out, we're looking for wisdom. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Remember he was the king in Israel and God blessed him with wisdom. And this is why he writes, Solomon does. Verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. So the audience here is not just people who don't know anything. Like you're sitting in your chair and you're like, yeah, my friend needs wisdom. I'm good. No. Solomon says, and God says through Solomon, that this wisdom is for those who need it, 
In other words, the simple, the youth. This is youth group, by the way. And also the wise. If, wisdom, or if Solomon was the wisest man to live, then there is no man living today who cannot learn from this book. So we keep reading. Verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7. This is our motto. This is our mantra. The anthem of our study this summer. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So wisdom. What is wisdom? This is our first question. I'm, I'm going to ask two questions tonight. We're going to keep it simple. Wisdom is a, a crazy topic and I've been mind blown on it the last week studying it. But I'm just going to ask two questions. And if you can walk away with the answers to those two questions, I'll be content. Number one, what is wisdom? We'll look at what wisdom is. And number two, how do I get wisdom? How can I, a, re- a student in Redeemer students, get wisdom? And how does it matter for my life? I want you to see wisdom like a diamond. See wisdom like a diamond. Maybe like draw that if you're taking notes. See it like a diamond. A diamond has a number of different faces on it. And it's beautiful, right? But it has a number of different faces or dimensions on it. There's different sides. And if you turn it around and look at it from different angles, it's the same diamond, but you're looking at it from different sides. It's the same thing with wisdom. There's different dimensions and different faces to wisdom that I want you to know about. And I want you to benefit from because God has created it that way. But there's four different dimensions or sides to this beautiful jewel of wisdom that Solomon offers us in this book. The first side or the first face of wisdom has to do with wit and smarts. Proverbs 1.6 says to understand a proverb and a saying. It has to do with understanding the words of the wise and their riddles. It literally has to do with answering riddles. Samson in the book of Judges asks a riddle of people and it said it, it, it talks about wisdom in that section. So it's wit and smarts, but it's not a higher intelligence level. It's not like, do this and your IQ will boost through the roof. Have you guys seen those quizzes online? Yeah, I almost took one the other day. Then I was like, no, that's my pride. No, it's not an IQ boost. It's not higher intelligence. It won't help you ace the ACT and SAT. Rather, it's an orderly, wholesome understanding of the world. Look around you right now. I just said this, literally, look around you. God created this. This is God's theater. And he's showing off a beautiful play for us. And it is through wisdom that we understand how the world works. We understand the order that God has created the world in. This is the first part of wisdom. The second part of wisdom, or the second face, if I could rotate that jewel for you, that diamond, the second face of wisdom is practical. Some of the sixth graders maybe are sitting here like, man, who cares about wisdom? I want you to care about wisdom because it's practical. Well, many other reasons, but one of them is because it's practical. If you've read through the book of Proverbs, it is highly practical. It tells us how we are to live in this, in this creation that God has built around us, that he's created. If God's the creator and he sets the rules, God is telling us the right way to live, the best way to live. This is the living well aspect of wisdom. So that's the second side. So wisdom is wit and smarts. It's practical. Thirdly, Wisdom is spiritual. I'm turning that diamond again for you. Look at this new side. Wisdom is spiritual. You see, in the word of God, wisdom is always attached to obedience and a knowledge of who God is. In other words, it's spiritual. Whenever 
the fear, or I'm sorry, whenever wisdom is brought up, it has to do with obeying God and has to do about with knowing about who God is. And again, if you look around you, creation is a witness to the fact that there is a God. Romans 1 says that. There is no such thing as an atheist. Everyone's a theist. So you might as well get to know God. The fourth is moral. Turning the dime in that one last time. The fourth aspect or the fourth face of wisdom is moral. And this kind of connects with the other two, but it's, it's being able to know and divide between what's good and evil. Redeemer students, do you come into situations sometimes? I know you do because I do. Do you come into situations where you don't know what's good and what's right in the moment? Where you have a choice to make? If you remember in 1 Kings 3, Solomon has a dream and God asks him what he wants. And his prayer is not for wisdom, actually. We always say it like that. But his prayer is for a heart that can discern or tell between good and evil. A heart that can divide between good and evil. And so that's another aspect of wisdom. It is moral. It helps us understand what is good and what is right. And again, that has to do with the fact that God has created this world and he has set the rules and he's the one who, who tells us what wisdom is. So, this jewel I have for you. The word of God offers you this invaluable jewel. This four-sided diamond. You can have it. The question is now, how do I get it? So the first question is, what is, what is wisdom? It's wit and smarts, yeah. It's practical. It's spiritual and it's moral. And don't you want the diamond? You can have the diamond in the word of God. Question, how do I get wisdom? Well, I've told you, I made a very tall order for myself. I told you I can condense 6,000 or more years of human understanding on wisdom. This thing that has blown the minds of the greatest people, greatest minds who've ever lived. They can't quite comprehend it. And I've said, I can say it to you in two words. How can I get wisdom? Fear God. Fear God. Look at verse 7. See, verses 2 through 6 describe to us what wisdom is, and that's what I've just told you. Now look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or in other words, wisdom. They, they use similar words there. They both have to do with understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So these two words that I've just given you, fear God, is the difference between you living a good life or a bad life. Not in riches sense, but a truly good life or a truly bad life. It's the difference between you being a wise person or a fool. And there's nothing good said about fools in the book of Proverbs. So fear God. Let me help you put this into perspective, okay? As you guys are thinking about life, as you think about what you're going to do with your life, what makes you happy, the book of Ecclesiastes talks about a man who tried everything. Everything under the sun. Literally everything you could possibly imagine to make you happy. He tried it. This is moving. He tried it. He tried food, drink, money, riches, love, work, fun and entertainment, knowledge, book learning, Literally everything, that and far more. And do you know what he says? He doesn't say, yes, I highly recommend the calamari down there. No. He ends the entire book with these words. The end of this, the end of this whole book, he says, fear God. He's like, 
Forget all the other stuff. I've tried it. Fear God. And this will save you so much pain from the consequences that come from loving other things over God and fearing other things over God, bowing down to other things over God. They're called idols. If you fear God, Solomon wrote that book too. Ecclesiastes, I just told you about. Take his word for it and fear God. So what's the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? I know some of you who are like terrified of spiders. Is anyone terrified of spiders? It's okay. It's all right. They're kind of scary if they're a tarantula. Snakes? Any Indiana Joneses in here? Scared of snakes? Yeah? Even the little gardener ones? Yeah? I saw one in my garage the other day. Oh, raccoons? Anyone scared of raccoons? I got got like one, one hand. There were two raccoons in my truck last week. Yeah, they were in there and they're like, or whatever noise they make. They like, they bark like dogs. So anyways, anyways, it's not those kind of fears. It's not a fear of heights. Some of you are going to go to summer camp. You're going to get up on the top of the, on the top of the launch pad. and You're going to be like, no, and come back. And your friend's going to be like, dude, waiting on the end of the blob. It's not those kind of fears. It's not the kind of sensational fear you get from watching a scary movie late at night in the dark. The fear of God's different. If I could put it in a nutshell for you, and, and, and remember this, when you go to small groups, when you think about the fear of the Lord throughout the day, if I could put it, give it to you in a nutshell. The fear of the Lord describes the right, the proper, the good relationship between man and God. It's the relationship you're supposed to have to God. It's fear. And believer, if you've received Jesus by faith, think about this. The fear of the Lord is the heartbeat of true godliness. Let's talk more about what it means. It's to have reverence for God. It's not, it's not to be just, God is holy. And, and we, we see in the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel, they both just, they just like, I'm not going to do it because I would break the mic, but they just like fall on their faces before God when they see his holiness. And so there's an aspect of terror that we're to have before God. He's holy. We're not. He's good. We're not. And quite obviously he's powerful just from this small storm that's coming. But it's more than that. It's to have, it's to have reverence for him. It's to live a life of awe-filled worship. It's to recognize that he's the creator and it's to obey his law. And it's to come humbly before him. See, God's both good and powerful. It's these double truths that we balance. When we look at the fear of the Lord, it's these two truths we balance. God is good and powerful. The fear of the Lord recognizes both of these. There's, a, there's actually a great quote from the Chronicles of Narnia that talks about Aslan, who's this giant, giant lion, possibly favorite character for me of all time. And listen to the words, okay? Because he's powerful, but he's also good. Listen to these words. This describes what the fear of the Lord might be like. It says, Ooh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Speaking of Aslan, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. There's talking beavers in this book if you haven't read it. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than, the mo- than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I love that. I love that. That describes our God well. And that describes what the fear of the Lord looks like. It's a balance between understanding that God is good, so good to his people, and gives good gifts, and does wonderful things, and is just good in himself. But it also describes that he's powerful, and to be heeded, and to be served, and to be obeyed, and to tremble before. Does anyone know what knocking your knees looks like? I kind of think of this dance move, you know. No, people, people do that when they're afraid, apparently. I've never done that. But it's, it shows intense fear. That's a gift. Thank you. So let's tease this out, all right? Before the storm comes and we see the power of God, let's tease out what the fear of the Lord looks like. Here it is. These are the two words I want you to remember when you think of the fear of the Lord, okay? Two words. Delight and obedience. Delight and obedience. You think fear of the Lord, you think delight and obedience. Delight, first. Delight is the response of someone who has something awesome, who has something great, who treasures something. Think about some earthly thing that you take delight in. Do that right now. Think about something you take delight in. Now listen to these verses that says that we are to delight in the Lord. Whenever the fear of the Lord is talked about, delight and obedience are both mentioned together. Psalm 2, 10 through 11 says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, there's wisdom, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Or I might say, now therefore, O Redeemer students, be wise and be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve him with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do you see that? Service and rejoicing. It's delight and obedience. Or listen to this verse. This one you might know better. I wrote it on my hand this morning. Psalm 34, 8 and 9 says this. O taste and see. Taste. See that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That psalmist says this, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Taste. See. These are some of the most sensational words that, that you can think of. They describe delight. And so saints, for any of you who have believed in Jesus for salvation, the psalmist says, Fear the Lord. That's what it means. Fear the Lord, you his saints. But right before that, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that he is good. The fear of the Lord is, it's intense and it's lovely and beautiful and it is for you who have believed in Jesus for salvation. Now, some of you may say, and I can be in this category, may say, I have not delighted in the Lord. My Bible reading is dry, if I even do it in the mornings. I hardly pray. I have no desire to evangelize. Even coming to church sometimes is hard. Sometimes I come more for my friends than I do because I want to hear God's word and because I want to worship. But if that's, if that's what you're saying in your mind right now, I just want you to see that you're missing the beauty of the delight. That delight we're taking in the Lord, you're missing the beauty of it. If, the, if all of the uh, excuses are focused on yourself. Because the delight you take isn't in the way you perform before God. It's in the person of God. Oh, this verse, 
Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. We know the first part of it, but I'm going to read the second part of it. It says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You guys heard that? Yeah? We know it's talking about Jesus. But it says this, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Listen to these wisdom words. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight, Jesus' delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord. So here's the beauty of it. There's only one who has perfectly feared the Lord. There is only one who is perfectly delighted in the Lord. And it is by faith that he is yours. So when I say delight, don't think about your works. For now. Don't think about your Bible reading. Don't, that sounds contrary to what you usually hear at church. But I just want you to fix your gaze on the face of Jesus. And I promise you that will cause delight. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord and in the Lord himself. That's what Isaiah 11 says. And you will not fear God. You will not fear God until you've already delighted in him. That's the thunder, I think. So look to the one who perfectly feared God. Take your eyes off yourself. Look to him. And it's by faith, again, that Jesus, that God will count Jesus' fear and Jesus' delight in God to you. That's the first part. Here's a good quote. On Mount Sinai, this is me still. On Mount Sinai, the Israelites were all gathered together. Okay, this is where God gave the people the law. That's really pretty. This is where God gave the people the law at Mount Sinai. And he gathers them around the mountain and it starts flashing lightning. We might see lightning tonight. It starts like lightning's ripping out of the sky. There's these trumpet blasts going on. There's a cloud covering the mountain. The people don't know what's going on. They're terrified. They're literally shaking and they're like, Moses, we, didn't, we cannot be a part of that. We're, we're, they, they try to get out of there. They're scared. And that was God's presence coming down. So keep that in mind as I read you this quote. The thunder from Mount Sinai, in other words, the law, can never produce delight I'm sorry, can never produce delightful fear, only terror. But the blessings from Mount Zion, that's the gospel. That's, that's the face of Jesus I told you to look on. The blessings from Mount Zion will produce fearful delight. Yeah, end quote. Now obedience, that's delight, okay? Fear of the Lord, you got two words, delight and obedience. That's delight, now here's obedience. Obedience is always connected with the fear of the Lord. God's people, the people who fear God, obey him. Think of a king and you come into his courtroom and he is a powerful king with armies, with wealth. Think like King Solomon. And maybe you're just a beggar and you come in there. You are going to do whatever the king says because he's powerful. And so those who fear the Lord always, they will mess up. But their desire is to obey the Lord. And so... Remember that you will not obey the Lord until you've delighted in him. Delight first, then obedience. But obedience nonetheless is an aspect of the fear of the Lord. Write these references down and look at them in small group. Here you go. Deuteronomy 6.13. Hope you have pens. Deuteronomy 6.13. Joshua 24.14. 
and Ecclesiastes 12, 13. They all talk about the fear of the Lord in connection with God's law, with obeying God. So this is the second mark, obedience, of a man or woman who fears the Lord. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 10, 12 for you. This is a quick glimpse. It says, And now, O Israel, or I will say, And now, Redeemer students, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That is the law. That is what we are commanded to do. Even as believers, that's our marching orders. That's our command from God. But it will only happen. The law will o- you will only obey the law out of a heart of delight in God. Once you've looked on the face of Jesus, then you can look at the Ten Commandments. For those who have never seen the face of Jesus, for those who have never delighted in Jesus, you can look at the Ten Commandments all day, but you will not get anywhere. Because God says, <laughs> the commandment is to walk in his ways and to love him. And if you have not seen Jesus' face, if, you have not, if Jesus is not yours by faith, then you do not love God. So if the fear of the Lord was a plant, think about a plant. If the fear of the Lord was a plant, obedience is the, is the plant and the fruit, but delight is the soil. And out of that rich soil of delighting in God, obedience will grow. Believer, take heart. It is the Lord who sanctifies. And he has planted the seeds of salvation, and out of that rich soil of delight in him, obedience will come. The fear of the Lord, it's not just about delight. We have to see the obedience part. Delight produces obedience. And with the people in these days in Proverbs, they would often worship idols. They often worship idols. And Isaiah mocks those idols. The prophet Isaiah mocks them. Because he says, who are those idols that you should bow down to them and worship them? He says, you literally made those idols. And then he starts mocking him and he's like, what, are they off on vacation? Are they in the bathroom? But you who have received Jesus by faith, you serve the one true and living God. Therefore, fear him, delight in him, obey him. I, I desire to live a holy, li- a holy life next to you who are living holy lives because we have delighted in the fear of God and we've delighted in the Lord. So this is how the fear of the Lord is tied to wisdom. Here's our study in wisdom, and this is how the fear of the Lord is tied to it. When we delight in the Lord, our affections are rightly ordered. When we're taking delight in the Lord, he's the chief love of our hearts. That's my prayer for you. Wisdom is, is holding God as the chief love of your heart. Not money, not parents, not school grades, not your sports, not your crush, not your friends, nothing. It's holding God as the chief love of your heart. So taste and see, believer, tonight. Taste and see that your God is good. And fear him. And walk in obedience. That's wisdom. And no, you want wisdom? Two words, fear God. Father, thank you for this night. Lord, I pray that you give us an awesome storm later and show us your power. Thank you even for showing us your beauty in the clouds right now. I pray that rather than looking on the beauty in the clouds and delighting in you, I pray that the students would look on the beautiful face of Jesus by faith.